Welcome to the FCBC NYC podcast. We're so thankful that you decided to join us in this moment and in this season in your life. Our prayer is that this podcast will be a catalyst for conversion and transformation and that you will be inspired and renewed in such a tremendous way that your desire will be to be your best for God. Again, thank you for listening, and we're excited to see what is next in your life. We are an ever-evolving community of visionaries, dreamers, and doers who have been called by God to live the lives we are created to live, commanded by God to love beyond the limits of our prejudices, and commissioned by God to serve. Called to live, commanded to love, and commissioned to serve. And if you cannot remember all of that, we have three powerful, profound words for you. What are they? Oh, that was cute. All right. <laughs> Listen, I, 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 I'm going to get to the word, but I would, I, I would not be true to my calling uh, to not make commentary um, about what has transpired this past week. Um, just when you thought the absurdity had reached its height, uh, we had to bear witness, those of us who chose to, um, on Wednesday at what in my lifetime was one of the most embarrassing political moments for this country. Um, there are some who still feel, and I always have to address that, somehow in this sphere, in this sphere rather, in this space, that we ought not uh, mix politics and religion. Those who believe that and those who uh, would state that they're entitled to their opinion. But I followed a carpenter. And I'm mindful that one of the reasons Christianity is so divisive in our country is because we all don't see and understand our faith the same way. I always make that distinction between being a Christian and a follower of the teachings of Jesus, because if you truly honor the teachings of Jesus, there are some actions and some behaviors that are incompatible. And I'm not speaking now about personal salvation, because so often we reduce our faith to personal salvation, and we don't speak about social transformation. What the carpenter was seeking to do through the teachings was to shift to shift the culture in which he was living, the culture in which many people were oppressed and many people were marginalized and many people were ostracized. And the teachings of the carpenter were designed and still are designed to bring us to our higher self, a higher sense of our humanity. And with that awareness, that elevation of consciousness, there are moments because of the elevated consciousness, it is difficult to remain silent and to remain complicit with the insanity we see being played out throughout this country politically. These are trying times. These are difficult times. We've all heard them before. But these are also times where those of us who claim to honor the teachings of the carpenter have a responsibility and obligation to embody our faith and also to speak truth to power. I was on a panel not too long ago, and one of the things I... I said, was quoting from the prophet Micah, what does the Lord require? Do justice, love mercy, and walk humbly with God. The prophet didn't say theorize about justice. 
The prophet said, do justice. And how do we do justice? Well, you flip over to Luke 4 and 18 or Matthew 25. Jesus outlines what justice looks like. It looks like declaring words that set free captives. It looks like preaching and declaring that this is the year of the Lord's favor. It looks like restoring sight to the blind. It looks like feeding the hungry and clothing the naked and giving water to those who are thirsty, visiting those in prison and visiting those who are sick. It looks like elevating our humanity to a point where cultural insanity collapses in the presence of elevated consciousness. That is who we're called to be in this season. I want to briefly tonight in that same, or this morning in that same vein, lift a passage of scripture. I won't be long this morning, but I think it is critical in this season to remember who we are called to be. And so if you would, even if you're home right now, you can stand with me at home and declare these words. If you're an FCBC family member, you know when we read the scripture, we like to stand. So you could be in your kitchen right now, living room. Stand with me. If you're in your bed, roll over and get up. And let's declare, uh, let's read the scripture found in Matthew, the 16th chapter. I'm going to read it from the New Revised Standard Version as well as the Message Bible. Matthew 16, beginning at verse 24 through a portion of 26. Then Jesus told his disciples, if any want to become my followers, let them deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For those who want to save their life will lose it. And those who lose their life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit them if they gain the whole world but forfeit their life? In the Message Bible, it reads this way. Then Jesus went to work on his disciples. Anyone who intends to come with me has to let me lead. You are not in the driver's seat. I am. Don't run from suffering. Embrace it. Follow me and I'll show you how. Self-help is no help at all. Self-sacrifice is the way, my way to finding yourself, your true self. What kind of deal is it to get everything you want but lose yourself? Let's pray. God, we thank you on this day. For God, it is yet another day you remind us of the awesomeness of your presence. God, we are grateful because there are so many daily reminders of, of how you continue to keep us. We don't take our breathing for granted. We don't take our living for granted because we know, oh God, the amazing nature of your grace. So God, on this day, on this morning, continue to pour into us as we seek to be faithful to you, for you have been a faithful God. We love you, Lord. We honor you, God. And it's in your name we pray. And we say amen. Let me repeat that passage of scripture again in the New Revised Standard Version. 
Matthew 16, 24 through 26. Then Jesus told his disciples, if any want to become my followers, let them deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For those who want to save their life will lose it. And those who want to lose their life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit them if they gain the whole world but forfeit their soul? In the King James Version, I love that language. For what does it profit a man, a woman, a person to gain the whole world and lose their soul? And in the Message Bible, I just want to lift that last line. What kind of deal is it to get everything you want but lose yourself? I have two two titles for this today, and I'm going to leave it up to you at home to choose which one applies to you. The first title is The Danger of Gained Losses. And the second title is The Danger of Living a Soulless Life. Amen. Come on, let's, let's move forward in this word on today. Both Mark and Matthew, the Gospels of Mark and Matthew, both have this scripture, Mark being the first version, Matthew building on it. The difference between Mark and Matthew in this passage, the famous passage about denial and taking up cross and sacrifice, and also about gaining the world and losing your life, is different in this regard. In Mark's gospel, Jesus is speaking to a crowd of people, to masses of people. In Matthew's gospel, Jesus is speaking directly to his disciples. This is important because in this scene, Jesus, according to Matthew's tradition, leans in a little bit more, digs a little bit deeper as he enlightens his followers on what it means to follow him. It's important when you read these words as recorded in Matthew, seeking to capture this moment of teacher and students. It's important to remind yourself that Jesus is making this what I deem as an intensification of discipleship to those who've made the commitment. This commitment to live life as a disciple is not a commitment to perfection because that is impossible, but it is a commitment to faithfulness, faithfulness to the teachings and the way that Jesus outlines for his disciples. That's important because what it says when I think of the difference between Mark's version and Matthew's version is that Mark is interested in letting the people, the masses who are gathered around, hear these words. If anyone would come after me, let them deny themselves, take up the cross and follow me that if you try to gain your life, you'll lose it. But if you lose your life for the sake of this teaching, you'll gain it. And then what does it profit a person to gain the world but lose your soul? But in Matthew's version, Jesus is speaking to those who've made a commitment not to show up, but to lean in. Not those who want to be part of the crowd, but those who've taken the next step 
They've already made a choice. They've already, some of them, forsaken, left things behind to follow the carpenter. They've forfeited so many things already. And in some ways, it would seem like these words don't really make sense according to Matthew's gospel, especially since Matthew is speaking to those who've already made the decision. But Jesus is letting them know that that decision to follow is step one. But now, beyond the following there's something that is more required of you. It is a radical reimagining of the way life is lived. You see, because the masses oftentimes can think that it's okay to seek to, well, a balancing act between honoring the teachings and being relevant in this world. In Matthew's gospel, though, Jesus makes it clear that being relevant in this world because he's talking to disciples is connected to the nature of how you seek to embody the teachings. In other words, anyone can claim to be a Christian, but everyone cannot claim to honor the teachings of the carpenter. Anyone can lay claim to a badge, a title, a form of identity, but everyone does not believe in having a conversion of the heart. You see, this is why I'm one of those people who is not always impressed by persons who have the capacity to recite scripture on cue. You see, just being knowledgeable of the words to say at the right time doesn't mean you've allowed those words to find a resting place in your spirit. It doesn't mean that you've been apprehended, confiscated, taken over by the teachers. It means that you have a good memory, but maybe not a great heart. And that is something we have to always remember. Jesus is trying to tell his disciples who made that decision, there is more that is required. And it's not just a superficial addendum to your life. Living this life means that you live your life through the prism of this decision as a disciple. It is not what is added on to the decisions you make. You make decisions through the lenses of your faith. That who you claim to be as a believer is not something you add on to your life. You add on to your job. You add on to your relationships. It is the way you enter your relationships. It is the way you enter your life as a working person. It is the way you live your life. And here, in Matthew 16, we encounter what some call the hard teachings of Jesus. Because it requires something else in your life to be apprehended. And that is a deep abiding conviction in who you claim to be as a believer. One, he begins by letting those know that somehow this journey is connected to denial. To denial. If anyone will come after me, let them deny themselves, take up the cross and follow me. Look at the language. Deny themselves. That means that somehow as part of this journey, you participate in the abolition of selfishness. That you do not allow your life to be shaped by selfish endeavors. You do not become com consumed with just you, you and you. You understand that part of this journey requires that you transcend the narrow confines of your own limited imagination that revolve around your own understanding of your narcissism run amok. And somehow you begin to move beyond that, that you realize that denial of self, not making you the center and circumference of everything and everybody you encounter, that this is part and parcel of the journey. Deny yourself. It doesn't mean that you go without. It means that you step forward within. That means you lean more into who you are, not who you are shaped and fabricated by other things and other mechanisms, other ways of evaluating our lives that are not connected to sacrifice and denial. 
And then take up the cross. My God, that word is definitely painful for so many of us because our crosses look different for each one of us. Our crosses are the things that make us face suffering with courage. Our crosses are the things that push us to places of encounter and creative encounter that we did not know we had the capacity to encounter with courage unless we had to bear them up. We often connect this bearing the cross of suffering to crucifixion. No, but maybe it just means the capacity, the capacity to confront the things that would instigate fear and cause you to retreat from seeing the better part of who you are. Deny yourself, take up the cross, and then you're ready to follow. Look at the high bar Jesus raises for discipleship. Deny yourself. Abolish selfishness. Take up the cross. Confront what generates fear the most in you, and then you are ready to follow. Can you imagine? No, not join a church join a ministry, show up in the building, or just socially engage. No, discipleship is a deeper commitment that beckons the best of who you are to lose yourself. That's the next line. To lose yourself in this way of reimagining the kingdom and seeing yourself in light of the kingdom, and also not in light of the kingdom, but the responsibilities that come with being a citizen of the kingdom. And I'm not speaking of the by and by. I'm speaking of the kingdom that is made manifest right here. And where does that kingdom begin? Within. And somehow Jesus here is leaning, telling these disciples, deny yourself, take up the cross, and then you're ready to follow me. And don't be concerned about what you will lose or gain because when you give up those things that you thought superficially defined your life for the sake of this new reimagined way of seeing yourself, you can't imagine what will come your way. Gosh, I hope you can hear that today. This notion of seeing yourself in a reimagined way through the lenses of the kingdom and connected to people and understanding that who you are as a follower, a disciple, is shaped by your connection to God. Now, for some, this seems to make sense and it doesn't seem that difficult, but you could not imagine how in this day and age so many people who claim to be Christian have a hard time gravitating toward this idea of losing yourself in something bigger than you, of losing yourself in some high calling, some noble calling, some great assignment that's bigger than you. Because when you lose yourself in a calling, an assignment, a commitment that's bigger than you, that means you reach spaces that you could not reach on your own. That somehow we are all part of something that is transcendent, that moves beyond who we are and how we are and begins to speak to the essence of our own humanity. Lose yourself. You, you lose yourself to those superficial ways of seeing yourself and then you gain yourself through deeper transcendent mechanisms by which you view your life and then comes to me the crux what does it profit a person to gain the world and lose your soul or as the message bible said it what does it mean when you get everything you want but lose yourself this is challenging because it speaks in the first title to 
Gaining and losing at the same time. It speaks to the notion that it is possible in this world, in this culture, to be one who pursues those things we think signify significance in our lives. That we chase after things we think bring us worth and value and somehow can elevate who we are before other people. That we will find ourselves in hot pursuit of ways of seeing ourselves through the larger culture because we think somehow being viewed as successful in the larger culture is the essence of who we are. That we begin to think that somehow our pursuits are always shaped by what we can get, what we can attain, and what we can grab. And the deep thing is that all those things sometimes we seek to gain and attain and grab hold of are things that are fleeting and finite and temporal and inanimate and are not long-lasting. Think about the things you're chasing right now. What are you chasing in your life because you think somehow your life is devoid of certain fact realities that are connected to things that you can put your hands on? I learned it this way a long time ago. I can't worship things that perish. I can't honor things that fade away. That there has to be more to life than simply being a taker, a consumer, because that is the way of the world. The world wants you to manifest your life by being a great consumer. So the more you have, the more valuable you are. The more you possess, the more worth you have. And that cannot be the way of this journey. There are people I know who live their entire lives to be in a constant state of wanting to impress other people. Constantly trying to show what you have and show who you are and think that somehow your significance is connected to external realities and sometimes those external realities don't even have life. Can you imagine the collective insanity when we who are life-breathing, life-giving beings begin to measure our lives by inanimate objects? Can you imagine when you minimize your life chasing dead things and what that means? No, it is possible to gain and lose at the same time. Because as the Message Bible said, what does it matter to get everything you want but lose the one thing you need the most? Yourself. What does it mean to be successful but miserable? What does it mean to live in the trappings of attainment but be empty inside? What does it mean for people to celebrate you but you still have no joy? What does it mean for people who aspire to be like you and you're busy running away from yourself. No, it is possible in this world to gain and lose at the same time. But hold on. Maybe the reason why you've been in pursuit of things to gain is because you've been trying to get away from you. Maybe that's the deeper issue. Maybe, maybe you shrouded your life in superficial ideas, notions, concept things because you're afraid of the depth of who you really are. And because you're fearful of the depth of who you really are, you shift your whole life to gravitate towards those meaningless things, those superficial things, because you're afraid to swim in deep water. You'd rather live shallow existence at ankle level and not understanding why you haven't grown anywhere. Maybe that's the issue. Maybe your desire for these things is because the one thing you should desire you're afraid of and that is yourself what does it mean to get everything you want 
and lose yourself. But then the other part of this is this notion of living a soulless life. The King James Version puts it better, more poetically. What does it profit a man, I will add woman, to gain the whole world and lose your soul? To lose your soul. To live a soulless life. When you live a soulless life, it doesn't mean that you're not living. It means you're living, but there's an emptiness that cannot be satisfied. No compassion. No empathy. Devoid of the capacity to demonstrate love to those who need it the most. Soulless. The inability to connect with another human being on a deeper level beyond what is surface. Soulless. The inability to actually live in a state of love in such an intentional way that people meet your love before they meet you. And when you don't want to do that, that's being soulless. I know growing up in church, the soul was about where you go when you die. But no, the soul is about how you are while you're alive. How you engage people right now. Where is your soul? There's something that aches in you when you see people wounded and damaged. That means you have a soul. Is there something in you that mourns when you see other people grieving and living in misery? That means you have a soul. Is something within you that wants to see other people arrive at their best possible place to be their best possible self, even if it means being the best possible self in the worst possible conditions. And if your heart aches to see that, you got a soul. But if you can turn a deaf ear to the cries of children hungry, soulless. If you can support ideas and policies that manifest poverty and keep people from having the basic necessities of life and you think that's okay, soulless, what does it profit you to have what you want? Well, then look down your nose at people who do not have. What does it profit you to get everything you can dream of, conceive of, but walk past people who have nothing? What does it profit you to make everything about your life, about what others can do for you, but never think about what you can do for other people? What does it mean when you're the kind of person who simply enters every relationship trying to figure out how you can manipulate other people to accomplish the agendas and the expectations you've set for yourself that are disconnected from anything like compassion or love? What does it mean? You see, because I'm convinced that we're at a point right now in this country, as we've heard from so many people, this is a season when our souls have to speak. Howard Thurman put it this way. He said, there will come a point when the deep that is God will connect to the deep that is you. It is deep calling unto deep. It is the depth of God that resides in you, that responds to the depth of God that shapes the universe. And it is not a superficial conversation. It's a soul conversation. It means that something in you is aroused in such a way that you cannot be still when God requires more. You cannot 
Be still when God raises the bar above you with hopes that you grow tall enough to wear it. That is what is required in this season. We cannot think about gains when there's so much that can be lost. And we cannot afford to lose our soul in this season. There are many things that this season has taught us. But the one thing it has made extremely clear is that no matter who you are, how you are, your background, there will be moments when life will show us that our humanity is the common denominator. That no matter how much money you have, you can't outrun a virus. And no matter how much you may possess, you can't own a cure. And somehow this season has become a season of awareness and awakening. And maybe those of us who claim to be disciples of the carpenter, maybe this season is reminding us that we cannot shape our lives in ways that we become blind to the hurt and the pain that exists in this world. I started this morning by talking about the debate that took place this week. But the truth of the matter is, it's not about whether you're a Republican or Democrat. The question is, are you human? And in this moment, has your humanity risen to its highest level? Or, how, or have you allowed yourself to be dragged to the baser parts of who we are? What does it profit a person to gain everything? But lose yourself. Don't lose yourself chasing things or chasing people. Don't lose yourself going after things that can't give you life. Don't pass yourself by in pursuit of places that reinforce the pain that may be lying within your spirit. No. What? Does it profit you to get everything you want and be disconnected from the one thing you need the most? And that is yourself. I don't know who this word was for today. But if it's speaking to you right now, I need you to lean in a little bit. Begin to realize that what God requires of you is not more excess, but authenticity. Not stuff, but strength.
maybe that is what is required in this season. There's a danger in living a soulless life. There's a danger in gained losses. And what is the danger? You utterly lose a sense of your own identity. Of your own identity. But this is a moment where you can say, I'm not looking back. That from this point on, I'm going to press and move forward. Not towards things that diminish me, but things that enhance me. I'm going to move towards those things that replenish my life and not deplete my life. I'm going to move in the direction of those things and those people who seek the best for me and not the worst for me. I know it's hard. I'm going to align myself with spaces and places that simply edify me, not rob me of the joy of my inherent dignity. That is what you must do today. And all it takes is a decision to lean in and press forward. But make sure when you lean in and you press forward, you don't leave yourself behind. Because what does it profit a person to get everything you want but lose you? And you have to see yourself as too valuable to forget you on the way of chasing things that can't define you. That is what this season is requiring from you. And I encourage you to make a different decision today. A decision that you are going to be in pursuit of your authentic self. That you will be in pursuit of the you you've been avoiding for far too long. That you will not rest until you have a creative encounter with your authentic self. There is something to this notion of being naked before God. Stripped of all the pretense. Stripped of all the illusions. Stripped of all the false expectations. And stand before God and then realize that just as you are, while you've been pursuing things, God has been pursuing you. While you've been chasing after things, God has been chasing after you. And here's the good news. Just as you are, God says, come. Just as you are, flaws and all, mistakes and all, damage and all, come. This is why the carpenter says, come unto me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. My yoke is easy. and My burdens are light. Enter into the joy of this relationship. Oh, to be kept and loved by God. There's more than you could ever imagine. But today, 
press forward. Lean in. And make sure you don't leave yourself behind. Come on, let's pray. God, we thank you today. We honor you today, oh God. In this season, there is so much that is going on. And the truth is, God, we can easily lose sight of what is important. Sadly, God, for some people, it takes a pandemic to realize what is really important in life. It takes dire circumstances to realize what is critical to our existence. And what is important, what is critical is life itself. God, thank you for breathing on and breathing in. Thank you for keeping and sustaining. And we, when we begin to take our journey as disciples, connected to an elevation of consciousness, connected to an awakening of our spirit, the universe begins to move. The world begins to take note. Thank you, God, for trusting us enough to raise the bar over our lives. Thank you, God, for trusting us enough to give us the responsibility of loving one another back to wholeness. Thank you, God, for trusting us enough that you won't let us hide and crawl into corners because we're afraid of what might happen when the real us comes forward. You know our name. And you are faithful. And that is why we can press forward. God, we love you. God, we thank you. God, we honor you. And we are grateful. Grateful. And we are still standing. And still here. And it's in your name we pray. And we say, amen. Thank you for listening to the FCBC NYC podcast. We hope that what you heard was informative and inspiring and in some way created a space for you to have a creative encounter with God. You can follow us on social media and on the internet at fcbcnyc.org. Please follow and also contribute if you've been blessed by what you heard, support us financially that we may continue to offer these podcasts. Thank you again, and we look forward to you tuning back in in the future.